listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. So we're, this is week two of a series called Humble King. And um, we're looking at this idea that the magic of Christmas is found in the beauty of a manifold king. Manifold meaning a word meaning uh, having lots of attributes, uh, characteristics of him. So he is humble, uh, he is human, he is glorious, he is God. So this is a series that you'll see uh, last week, this week, and for the next couple weeks as well. So it's, it's the Christmas season, and you know Jason last week got to share some of his favorite Christmas stories. So I've got to tell you a couple of mine. Um, our first year being married, uh, we were going to be at my in-law's house for Christmas, and um, as, you know, the day came, I was actually a little bit sad. It was the first year I'd been away from my parents for Christmas, you know, and some of the traditions that we had, my in-law's family did not do, and um, so, you know, I was feeling a little blue, and uh, came time for the opening the Christmas presents on Christmas Day, and they have a tradition in their family that as a, a whole family gathers around, they actually read the Christmas story um, out loud, and um, just as they were getting ready to read this story, they had a little Boston Terrier named Tessie, and Tessie hopped up on the couch next to me. Now, I wasn't a really big Tessie fan, but you know, it's Christmas Day, so I'm petting the little dog, and um, about halfway through the story, it turns out that the dog had gotten into the Christmas stockings and eaten a little too much uh, candy and co- uh, chocolate, particularly, and right in the middle of the Christmas story, he throws up on me, and uh, I mean, it was just disgusting, you know, and, uh, you know, at th- after the cleanup and stuff, the family tries to make me feel better about it. Oh, he's just welcoming you to the family, you know, it's, it's great, so, but now I'll tell you another Christmas story that has a little bit more to do with this sermon, so, um, so when I was a kid, uh, you know, one of the things that the Christmas season meant was that uh, my mother would bring out the Christmas music, and um, just to explain for you guys, this was quite a long time ago, and we didn't just download our music. Um, in fact, even just a few years ago, they had these things called CDs. It wasn't that, you know, uh, and before CDs, there were tapes. It wasn't that. Uh, before tapes, we had something called eight tracks, and we're really getting back. There's only a few of you in this audience who knows where that is, but before that, they had something called records, and, and it wasn't just a hipster thing. You know, this was actually what people listened to music on. Um, so uh, we had, we'd pull out the Christmas records. Now, my mom's favorite Christmas music is a classical piece called Handel's Messiah, which is absolutely amazing music. And, uh, but my, my mom doesn't listen to classical music like most people do, or it's just, you know, soft, mellow thing in the background. My mom can have Handel's Messiah playing loud enough that she can vacuum and hear it over the top of it. So I, it's deeply implanted in my being, uh, Handel's Messiah. But actually, Handel's Messiah does relate to this message, because Handel's Messiah is this amazing uh, music built on the Old Testament scriptures that promise the coming of a Savior who's going to be born in a manger, of a God who gives up all he is and comes to earth, and it continues the the parts of Handel's Messiah that we don't normally think about that come on like record five uh, were the stories of the suffering uh, servant who goes to the cross for us as well, and that Handel's Messiah really is bookends for this uh, sermon today. Um, Today we're going to be building on what Jason shared uh, last week. He spoke about the humility of Christ uh, coming to earth. And today we're going to see what happened because of that humility. Um, Let's start by reminding ourselves how God and Christ, uh, Jesus Christ, demonstrated humility. 
We're going to turn in the same passage that we looked at last week. We're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 2, and I'm going to be reading verses 5 to 8 to start with, and it should be on the screen as well. Starting in verse 5, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So let's look at how Christ demonstrates humility. He does this in two ways. Um, The first way is that it became a human being. Now, for most of us, most of the time, we're pretty glad that we're human beings. We feel pretty good about it. Once in a while, you may wish you were some other creature, but most of the time, you're pretty glad you're a human being. But you've got to recognize this from God's perspective. Here he is, the God of the universe, and he empties himself, as the scripture says in Philippians. He empties himself, and he comes to earth. He gives up a part of who he is in order to come to earth. The infinite part, the part of being the all-powerful, all-knowing God, he has to empty himself to limit his powers within those areas to come to earth. Now, in a way, we're like, well, that's great. So what? Well, it's hard for us, I think, as human beings to picture what it meant to give up who he was in order to come to earth uh, for us. But back, this is before my time, in the 50s and 60s, there was these things called ant farms. I think I have a picture of it coming up there for you. So you had this ant farm. You'd send away for this little kit and um, it would come to you, and you'd have little ants running around inside it, and you could sort of watch them and uh, see how ants acted. So just picture a world, though, where this is your ant farm, and you have the power of actually becoming an ant. So you're going to go in there into that world and become an ant and crawl around with them, and you're going to give up part of who you are as a human being in order to make that possible. And it's not going to be like this, okay? It wasn't like this, (laughs) Ricardo, okay? (laughs) because <laughs> um, that guy was still a human being, you know, even though he had the powers of an ant. But no, you're going to give up being a human being to become an ant. That's a little bit like what Christ did when he came to earth. He gave up, he emptied himself, he gave up part of who he was as God in order to come down to earth, and he did it out of humility. This wasn't an easy step. All of us would have trouble actually going and living on our little ant farm. The second thing that Jesus Christ did to demonstrate humility to us is that he took on our sins. And again, you know, we're so steeped in our own sins that we don't recognize what it took for him to do that, what it meant to give up himself. You have to understand, this sin violated his very nature. Um, he, uh, you know, he had not had sin in his presence, and he comes to earth, and he has to live amongst us. He, um, lives a sinless, perfect life, and that yet suffers the punishment for sin by dying on the cross at the end of his life. Uh, He takes on the sin that you and I had committed, and maybe the worst of all is at the very moment that he takes on all his sins, his God the Father turns his back on him. The world becomes dark, and at that moment, he's borne the punishment for our sins, completely what he didn't deserve. And again, you know, I think we as human beings can struggle Uh, with what that means. Um, Just to give you a little bit of a sense of this, when um, I was an undergrad, I was a chemistry major, and uh, in second year chemistry major, you do something called organic chemistry, and about uh, uh, midway through the semester, we're doing this lab on creating the uh, fake banana scent. 
smell, taste. It'd be like what if you have banana-flavored gum? This is what they use. And, and it, the way they do it is you actually do a distillation uh, for it to create this chemical. And so I was working in the lab, actually working in a hood, uh, which would... Um, sort of protects you when you're working in the lab. So I have my distillation apparatus all set up. It's about halfway through it. I'm standing there, you know, waiting for stuff to happen. And for whatever reason, this whole thing explodes on me. And I got, like, banana, this fake banana stuff, like, all over my clothes, into my skin. And um, it literally, I mean, the clothes probably washed out the first time, but I felt like it took me, like, three showers before I could get rid of all the smell. And the worst of it is I've never been able to eat bananas since then. It's just been horrible. I hate the smell of bananas, hate the taste of bananas, can't eat them in anything. So d- bananas disgust me, right? That's a little bit like, and on a very minor scale, about what God goes through when Jesus Christ took on our sins, these disgust him. He can't have them in his presence. And now he's been, been soaked in them, uh, our own sins, and, uh, and deserves, uh, does not deserve the punishment that he's getting. And so Jesus Christ practiced humility in these two ways, in that he uh, became a human being. So just like us, you think the God of the universe, you know, pooped in a diaper. He, um, you know, cried. He uh, had to put up with the being hungry needing sleep, all these things that he hadn't had to do before that meant being a human being. So he'd emptied himself in that way, and then he took on our sins. And then let's keep looking at this passage, though, because we can see what happened because of it. So reading on in that Philippians 2 passage, starting in verse 9, Paul says here, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The, that little section begins with a key word. The word is therefore. In, in scripture, whenever you see the word therefore, you have to see what it's there for. And it's, it's connecting what's happened be, before that to what's going to happen going forward. So the word therefore points to the fact that because Jesus Christ had chosen humbleness, chosen humility, therefore God glorifies him. God exalts him and puts him into a high position. Um, let's take a look just to understand a little bit more about what that means. We're going to take a look at Hebrews uh, chapter 1, starting in the verse 1. And again, this will be on the screen behind us as well. Hebrews chapter 1, uh, starting at verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed, the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the, power of his, by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So looking at that passage again, it's talking about this glorification of Jesus Christ because of the humility that he's chosen, because he's uh, gone through this purification of sins for us. There are a couple things, though, I want to try to explain a little bit more. When I was reading through it, I struggled with it, and some of you may have, as you were reading this as well. It says in verse 2 that uh, it talks about the son whom he appointed the heir of all things. Heir is, you know, the one that inherits, and I thought, well, Sort of a curious thing. How does that, you know, equate to being a a position of glory? 
And as I looked into this, unless you really think of this in the context of that first century world, I think you missed some of the meaning to it. When um, the master, the father in the first century world would choose an heir, that person took on the full mantle and the full power of the father. And anywhere that this heir went, he had the authority of the father to act. And he was the one, yes, that would inherit, but more than that, he could act in the place of the father as well. So it gives you a little bit of a better sense of what that means. Then another one that really uh, confused me a bit was in verse 4 where it talks about having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And you saw the same thing in that passage in Philippians, which talks about this concept of name. And again, um, unless you understand it in the way they understood it in that first century world, I think we missed some of the meaning to it. In that world, the name that you were given meant something. It was uh, to be a characteristic of who you are. And sometimes they may not even have given it certain cultures till later on when it truly was your characteristic. And we don't do that in our typical Western world today. Uh, my name, Brian, means strong. And uh, that's not exactly a characteristic you used to describe me. I was thinking about it. I said, probably the only time I'm strong is in what I smell like after a workout, not in any other kind of way. So... Um, but in that time period, the word, the name meant something, and it was a statement on the character and nature of the individual. And that's what it is for Christ. It's a statement on his nature and his character. So just understanding those two terms, I think, will help us as we delve into this passage more. But as I was preparing for this message, I was thinking about, so having this question of why was Jesus Christ glorified? What was the purpose in it? What was God trying to accomplish in it? And I'm going to contend today, I'm going to present to you four reasons why I believe that uh, Jesus Christ was glorified. Um, And the first of those um, needs to be understood in this term. God has set up a world that works on the basis of cause and effect. If you do this, then this will happen because of it. It's a cause and effect kind of world. And, uh, but because of the fall, not every cause and effect linkage is necessarily intact anymore. And I think the first reason that Jesus was glorified is that it fits the biblical principle of humility that's been established in Scripture. Let me explain what I mean. If you look at Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 9, we're just going to read a couple of verses there. Starting at verse 33. And it says, And they came, they being Jesus and the disciples, came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, or anybody wants to be first, he must be last of all and a servant of all. That's the biblical principle. It's turning the world on its head. It's the exact opposite of what we expect. If you want to be first, you need to be last. You need to be a servant of all. And that's the biblical principle of humility. That's part of the reason why Jesus Christ was glorified is because he was the servant of all. He took on the sins of the world for everyone, and God has chosen to glorify him, to make that linkage uh, that will happen in eternity for all. You see the same idea in Matthew chapter 5 where he's, uh, Christ in the Sermon on the Mount says, the meek shall inherit the earth, or the humble shall inherit the earth. Again, that connection, do we see that necessarily in our world today? We don't see it now, but this is the principle of humility uh, that will happen um, as God makes all things right. 
So the first reason that Jesus Christ was glorified is it fits the principle of humility established in Scripture. The second thing, the second reason for it is that he deserves it by dint of who he is, right? Um, here it is, God's son. He's part of the Trinity, part of the Godhead. Uh, describes in that Philippians passage that he's the creator of the world. It describes in the Hebrews passage it's by his word that the world is head to, held together. So he deserves our glory. He deserves to be worshipped by us. Um, and he's simply, all God's doing in this glorification of Christ is, is giving him, putting him in the position where we do what he deserves. We recognize him for who he is and worship him. The third reason uh, that Jesus Christ is glorified is that he paid the way for us. He satisfied God's wrath, and he did what no one else could do. If you want to think about it, uh, think about it this way. Um, if you had a debt for a million dollars, you owed a million dollars, and the person to whom you owed it said, because you can't pay your debt, you're going to have to die. And I came along, and I gave, I said, hey, you know what? I'm going to help out. I feel so badly about this situation. I'm going to give you $250,000. All right. Does that help? Not really, right? You're still going to die, you know? So you're, my $250,000 doesn't get me any pats on the back. I've still not met the standard. I've still not paid the debt that you owed. And that's very much like our situation is with God. Our sins, the bad things that we do... Uh, separate us from God, make it impossible for, have us, uh, for us to have a relationship with him. Not because he's mean and horrible and, and hates us, but because by his nature, like me with bananas, he can't have sin in his presence. So because of that, there needs to be something done to pay that price for our sin. The Bible says that our sins deserve death. That's what the punishment for sin is. And um, instead of that, Jesus Christ came to earth comes as a human being, lives a sinless, perfect life, and, that, and his death takes on all of our sins, pays that price for us, bridges that gap, says, here's the million bucks you need to pay off the person who wants to kill you, and does that for every one of us, not just one of us, but every one of us, does it for the whole world, and makes it possible for us to have a relationship with him. Amazing, right? If we're not willing to give God glory in that situation, that's, you know, that's the whole purpose for his being, the whole purpose for our being as well. So the third reason that Jesus Christ deserves to be glorified is that he paid the way. He did what none of us could do on our own. And then the fourth reason why uh, Jesus Christ was glorified is that uh, uh, through this glorification, he's positioned, he's been put back in a position, in a position of responsibility that reflects what his role is. And he's been put at the right hand of the Father, right hand of God, as it was described in that passage in Philippians and Hebrews. And why is it? What does that mean? Uh, that position was a position of authority. And we can sort of see a little bit of what it means when we look at First uh, John chapter 2. And it describes the role of Christ now being to be the ambassador to God on our behalf. If you think about it a little bit, think about it this way. Um, when I, once I've become a Christian, once I've accepted what Christ has done on my behalf and have a relationship with God, I still sin. I still do bad things. And um, as I feel guilty for doing those bad things, as this Holy Spirit works within me to convict me of those sins, I desire to have my relationship restored with God. Because when I do bad things, it breaks fellowship with God. It makes it difficult for me to have that kind of relationship that I should have with God. And 
uh, what happens when I ask for forgiveness is that little prayer that I say to do that goes directly to Christ, Jesus Christ. He's sitting at the right hand of the throne of God, and he taps God on the shoulder and says, I got it. I got this taken care of. My blood, my death covers this new sin that Brian's committed, and I've got it taken care of. He can be back in a relationship with you. Isn't that amazing? So God's purpose uh, for Jesus Christ now is he stands at the right hand of the Father, acts as our ambassador on our behalf, representing us to the throne of God, representing us to the, uh, to, uh, the God of the universe uh, on our behalf because we still mess up. We still do things that we uh, shouldn't do, and we still desperately need uh, his forgiveness. Uh, so he's there ready to take our place again and say, hey, what? you know what? I've got it. I've got this covered. My death covered this sin as well. So we think about those four things that really explain uh, why Christ was glorified, that it helps us understand the, the principle of humility, um, that you know, he's glorified because he's the son of God. He deserves it by dint of who he is. Uh, he deserves to be glorified because he did for us what we could not do for ourselves, what nobody could do for us by dying on the cross uh, in our place. And then finally, uh, he's positioned at the right hand of the Father. He deserves glory because of his role is there to be there as our ambassador on our behalf. So what does this mean for us? How does this connect to the to Christmas and this time of the year and such as well? Um, I think one thing it should do for us is that it should help us have a broader understanding of the Christmas story. The Christmas story is not just the story of a, of a God who empties himself and comes to earth and, and is born in a, a stable, uh, laid in a manger. Um, you know, all the elements that we have of the Christmas story. No, it's more than that. It's the uh, babe that grows up to become a man, lives a sinless, perfect life, and dies as a suffering servant on our behalf. But it's more than that even as well, because in, by dint of the fact that he had satisfied what God's demands are, he could be promoted to glory uh, because of it. So it's this, it really adds breath to the Christmas story of the birth of a babe, the death of a Savior, and the glorification of our Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. I think the second thing, that second lesson that we can really take from this is that... Um, this models for us what it means to be humble and self-sacrificing. And um, I was thinking about this last week, and Jason talked a little bit about uh, one of the best parts about Christmas is that maybe more than any other time of the year, you see people uh, being generous with others and so on. Um, and we have this model of what Christ did, how he emptied himself, came to earth, gave up so many elements of what it meant to be God, to come and live with human beings and our uh, broken uh, difficult world. And uh, I was thinking about what it would mean for each of us as believers if we lived that same kind of way of being self-sacrificing, of living our life for the benefit of others, of making a difference in the lives of others. Uh, and doing that, you know, using that model of Christ, I think so much in our world today, we don't see that, right? You know, we see um, in our political situation a ton of ugliness. Uh, you know, we see people looking to get ahead all the time. We see people that are not embodying uh, what Christ uh, really gave us as an example of emptying himself, of being humble, and being self-sacrificing. I think the third thing, though, that this, thinking about this message and what it really means to us in the uh, why Christ was glorified, um, I think it requires a response from us. You know, you think about it and say, hey, um, 
hey, it's really neat that Jesus came to earth as a, as a babe. Uh, it's a great story. Um, you know, it gives us uh, perhaps reasons to give at this time of the year. Uh, that's really neat. Um, and, you know, it's amazing that Christ died on the cross as well. But when you recognize where God has placed him, what God has done with him uh, in glorifying him, you recognize really the full circle of that and the importance of that. And it requires something from us to say, you know, to ask that question, well, what about us? How does this relate to us? How, do, how does that happen in my life? Because at the end of the day, uh, what God does uh, and what God has done through his son uh, requires us to respond to it. We have to ask the question and say, how does this relate to me? What does that mean for me? Um, Christ died on the cross for my sins. He died on the cross for your sins. And you have a choice. You can accept what he's done and have your relationship restored with God. Or you can ignore what he's done and still choose to pay your own price for your own sins. And no matter what you do, you're not going to live up to the standard that he's established. You can live the best life you know of. You can be as self-sacrificing as you possibly can, and you're still not going to meet that standard that God has established without Christ in your life. And, um, you know, you might say, hey, that debt I owe is a million dollars. I can come up with 500000 of it myself. You know, that's great, right? But you still have not paid the debt that you have. And it's only through the work of Christ, it's only through accepting the work of Christ that your relationship with God can be restored, that that debt that you owe to God uh, can be paid. Um, In a moment, we're going to close in prayer. And uh, I just want to encourage you, um, make this a Christmas to remember. If you have never accepted Christ as Savior, uh, make today the day that you do that. Make today the day where you recognize that this gift that he's given um, makes a difference in your life by being allowing you to have your relationship with God uh, restored. Um, I'm going to close in prayer, and um, but let me just walk you through a prayer. So if you're here today and you want to accept Christ as Savior, um, you can just say in your mind these words that I'll say as well. Uh, just say them to yourself, and, uh, and then I'll close in prayer. So if you're here today and you haven't accepted Christ as Savior, um, this is just the kind of prayer that you have to say to God, uh, and he will hear you. God, thank you for sending your son. Lord, I recognize that he took my sins, the bad things that I've done, and bore them on the cross with him to pay the debt that I could not pay to cover those sins in your, my accounts with you, Lord. Lord, I accept what he's done as payment on my behalf. Please restore my relationship with you. Make possible my relationship with you. I ask for your forgiveness. I desire to live through your power and I desire to have your Holy Spirit fill me and help me to live for your glory for the rest of my life. Amen. If you've prayed that this day, I just would ask that you would, uh, after the service, talk to me, talk to Ricardo or Pastor Jason, and uh, we'd love to talk to you further about it. Now, if the ushers want to come forward, we'll uh, close this uh, portion of our service. Lord, we love you. You deserve our praise because of the glory that you have, Lord. Thank you for what you've done in in demonstrating to us the power of the humble servant, Lord, the humble king. You deserve our glory 
Um, thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Thank you for making possible our relationship with you. Lord, as our ushers now take the offering, Lord, I just would ask that these tithes and offerings would be used for furthering your kingdom and uh, making a difference in this community for you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.